our soldiers and not to take away anything from that. I think that probably the, the thing that's on our top plate this morning is remembering what happened this last week when 19 children lost their lives. I believe it was three teachers, two or three teachers that lost their, their lives as well. And at the very end, you had an 18-year-old gunman who clearly troubled, uh, past mental issues and all kinds of things, died in the end as well. And yet, here we are again. And it seems like, I remember uh, years ago when um, Columbine happened. And I thought, wow, what a shock. I mean, that was such a shock for those of you who remember that. It was a long time ago now, but at the time, you just didn't hear about things like that happening. And now... It seems like we're seeing school shootings on a scale like we've never seen before two, three times a year, it seems like almost. And so, um, man, the question is why, you know, and and that's the question that everybody's asking and, and, and arguing over right now, isn't it? Because here we are yet again, we're right in the middle of another national crisis and the lives of these kids are before us. I don't even think that we've had all the funerals yet. And the national conversation has turned away from that back to what we always fight about in times like this. And so there's fights going on now about gun laws and the Second Amendment. And it just seems like we just are constantly fighting. Have you noticed that? You know, it wasn't that long ago we found out about the leak that happened with Roe v. Wade. And there's a lot of talk that possibly by this summer that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Well, you know that's going to cause a lot of fights. It already is causing a lot of fights. Before that, we were fighting over vaccines and masks. And before that, we were fighting over the pandemic. And before that, we were fighting over the election. And some people are still fighting over the election today. Never in my life have I ever seen a greater need for us as a people, as a nation, to understand and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that there's anything um, that is going to save this country other than this. National repentance. Um, I don't think that, that national repentance will ever come to this nation unless we as a people collectively come to understand and know the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And so my aim in this series is to help you get to know someone. Perhaps somebody you've never met before in your life. Somebody whom the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. He is a member of the Trinity. Max Ann, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head earlier in Bible class when you said it. He is a part of the Trinity. We know that in heaven there is a relationship that exists. It has always existed. It is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when you turn those words around a little bit, it gives you a clue as into what his function is, what his primary role is. Because if you take the words Holy Spirit and you turn them around, you realize that he is the spirit of holiness. Which means that you cannot come into contact with the spirit of holiness and that it doesn't affect you and causes you to become a more holy person. But for the reason why I feel like this series is so important is because there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I believe is on its way uh, to this nation. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that, that I moved my entire family here. 
to Snyder, Texas, because I believe that this is going to be one of the places where it's going to happen when it does. And since we've been here over the last few months, God has connected me with other people who have also been seeing and hearing things in the Spirit, who also believe that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is coming. But here, I want to say this. You don't have to wait for a great outpouring of God's Holy Spirit for you to experience an outpouring of His Spirit in your life. And that's why we're wanting to start this series, because I feel that there is a sense of urgency to talk about these things with what's going on in the world. I think that they are going to get worse and worse. I think that it is incumbent upon us to become spiritually prepared, physically prepared. Yes, if you want to lay by in store, that's fine. There's absolute wisdom in that. But more importantly than not, the most important thing that we can do as a congregation is to make sure that we know who the Holy Spirit is and have a relationship with him. Last Sunday, we began this series And I told you that as Christians, we are uniquely blessed because when we come to follow Jesus, there's a very special gift that he's got for his children. And uh, I tell you what, kids, uh, all of you like gifts. Amen. This morning, you got the gift of that beach ball, man, that beach ball wasn't much, but that's fun, right? Everybody likes to receive a gift. Well, when you become a Christian, God has a gift that he wants to give you as well. And we talked about that last week. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, last Sunday, I brought up the woman at the well, the story with the woman at the well. And this is a story that takes place before Pentecost. So before Pentecost, right before Pentecost, Jesus introduces this woman to that gift. And she says, he says two things to her. There's two things he wants to understand. He says, I want you to understand who I am, that I am the Messiah. I am the one that is sent by God. And I want you to understand the gift that I came to give you. In fact, he said these words to her right here in John chapter 4, verse 10. He said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then Jesus goes on to say this in John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. And by the way, I have several scriptures I'm going to leave with you this morning. It's going to feel a whole lot more like Bible class than a sermon. So if you like to write down notes and take notes, just go ahead and write these down. John chapter 14, 13 through 14. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, everybody who drinks this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus says, there's a gift that's coming For those of you who believe in me, right? You believe that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the one sent from God. Well, according to him, he says, when you come to have that faith, there is a gift that I want to give you. And he says, to liken it, it's like water. It's like water from a well. But it's not like water from this well. You you drink water out of this well, eventually you're going to get thirsty again, right? You're going to have to come back and get more. But the well that I give you will become in you like a water well springing up into eternal life. When you drink from that water, he says, you will never, ever be thirsty again. Now, remember, Jesus later on in the same gospel defines for us what that water is. Jesus cried out on the last and greatest day of the festival. Jesus stood up and he said with a loud voice, let anybody who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever what believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from where within them. 
By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom, it says it again, those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I want to take a brief point out the fact that Jesus makes it clear who this gift is for. Now, I want to say this very clearly. I want to say it once. I want to see if we can maybe... um, I'm sorry, did I mess up? Alan, scoot back a little bit. There's a touchy spot up here when it comes to the mic. Is that better? All right, love you too, Caleb. Okay, I want you to take, just take this moment. There's two things I want you to, to, um, to see here in this text, and maybe we can settle something that's been argued about for decades. One of the traditions that we have in the churches of Christ is we will say that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, was given only to the apostles. And it was given only to whom they laid their hands on. Now, I want you to go back to the text with me real quick and look again at John 7, 38. What does Jesus say specifically in John 7, 38? Who gets to have this gift? He qualifies it for you. Somebody say it nice and loud. Anybody who believes. Remember what he told the woman at the well. There's two things that you need to know. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you these things, the Messiah, it'll change your whole life. And she accepted the gift of God and it changed her entire life, right? It says right here, whosoever believes in me. Everybody say whoever. That includes me and you, right? Now, hopefully that's settled. We can move forward now. Okay, it's for everybody who believes in Jesus. That's me and you. Okay, so since we have this gift that's been given to us, and we know that this gift is the Holy Spirit, then here's a very important question. If you've been given a gift, don't you want to know a little bit more about the gift? There are so many people in this world today, so many people in our churches who have been blessed with this gift because they've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They've accepted Him as their Messiah. They've received His death, burial, and resurrection. They've even received the gift. But they don't know anything about it. And they don't know anything about him. We've already seen in the book of Acts. Let's talk about this question. Who is this Holy Spirit? We saw in the book of Acts. Chapter 2. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. Which by the way. For those of you who are interested. Where's Sandy? Sandy you're going to be celebrating Pentecost next Sunday. Shavuot. For those of you who don't know. On the Jewish calendar. Pentecost is next Sunday. I'm hoping the outpouring starts next week. That'd be great wouldn't it? Big old outpouring right here on Sunday morning service. And I think it's kind of cool, you know, we know about unleavened bread, but that's the one feast where you have two loaves of Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Well, in the book of Acts, okay, Jesus preaches that very, very first sermon, and he gets to the very end, and what does he say at the very end? He says, I want he says that everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. He says, you can be baptized to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, when he's standing up on the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, preaching that sermon, he's obeying what Jesus had already commanded him to do back in Matthew 28, right? Remember, in Matthew chapter 28, you had the Great Commission. Listen one more time to the words of Jesus. What does he tell them to do? This is before he ascends back up to the Father. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and who? The Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is going to be a part of this next part of God's divine program with mankind. Okay? In other words, how is it that Jesus 
is going to be with his disciples, what does he say at the very end? He says, and, be, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even unto the very end of the age. How is Jesus going to be with his disciples up until the very end when Jesus returns? It's through his spirit. That's how he intends to stay with us all the way to the end of the age, including up through our time and age as well. He's going to forever be with his disciples present through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Peter obeys, right? And he gets up that morning and he starts preaching to the crowds and he preaches this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise, now we don't have time to get into it this morning, but he's saying the promise. Why? Because this is a prophetic promise that's talked about in the Old Testament. In other words, there was a day prophesied about in the Old Testament when people would receive this gift. Peter's saying that day has arrived, okay? We don't have time to get into the Old Testament. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, For the promise is for you, it's for your children, and for who? For all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God shall call. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That's not the first time that Peter uh, talks about this or that Jesus talks about this. If you back it up to Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, right before Pentecost, right before Peter preaches that sermon and says those words, listen to what happens here. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. Now, this is that 40-day period. Remember, Jesus is raised from the dead. 50 days later is Pentecost. During that 40-day period, Jesus is appearing and disappearing many, many times to his apostles. And he's giving them very special instructions before he ascends to the Father. Listen to what he says to them right here. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, um, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me talk about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now skip down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so in Acts chapter 2, Peter and all the other followers of Jesus, they were in a room, they're doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do, right? In in Acts chapter 1. And he, he told them that that promise was coming that he talked about. Now, when he tells you that, that means that somewhere else in the Gospels, he's already talked to them about the coming gift, right? So it might behoove us, if we're good students of the Bible, to maybe go dig that up and find out when Jesus talked to them before about this coming gift of the Holy Spirit. Turns out, John told them about it in John chapter 14. Let's go back and read it. And this is going to be our main text for this evening, or this morning rather. Jesus says these words, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. How? They've seen the spirit's been living with them for three and a half years, right? 
They've seen the Holy Spirit do his works. They've seen the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus. He's been living with them for a long time, but he will soon be where? In you. And then he says this in verse 18, echoing back to what we saw in Matthew 28. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Remember what he said in Matthew 28? I will be with you even unto the very end of the age. How does Jesus plan to not leave us as orphans and never leave us nor forsake us? By personally coming to us in the person of the Spirit. Folks, do you realize what I'm saying this morning? The precious gift that God has given you that so many people don't know about is the presence of Jesus in your day-to-day life. I mean, that's what we're talking about. The presence of Jesus in your day-to-day life through the Holy Spirit. The gift that Jesus came to give us, that he said himself he would not be able to give us unless he died and ascended. He said this in John 14, 16 through 17. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The word another means another of the same kind. It means another like Jesus. Now, this gets into a little theological discussion. I'm not going to try to explain it because you can't explain it. But there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they all live within one another, right? There's this passage in John chapter 17, and the, the theologians like to call it perichoesis. It means mutual indwelling. It means that just as Jesus dwells in the Father and, and dwells in the Spirit, so too the Father dwells in uh, the Son and the Father dwells in the Spirit. And so since you had the Spirit living inside of you, that means the Father and the Son has come to make residence in you just as you have been invited, invited up to the throne of the Father to in, be in relationship with the Father. That's why it says we sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? We are mutually present with one another in the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's a great mystery, But the Bible says it's absolutely true. Jesus says this gift is none other than the Father and the Son coming to make residence in your spirit. That presence is known as the spirit of holiness that lives inside of you. Um, He says in verse 17, let's see, do I have it up here? Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him, right? Because you can't see the Spirit, can you? With your physical eyes, you can't see the Spirit. And doesn't know him. You don't know the Spirit unless you've walked with the Spirit. See, you can't know the Spirit unless you have an experience of the Spirit. It sees him. Then he says in verse 17, But you know him, for he lives with you and eventually will be in you. That reminds me of the passage we talked about last Sunday when Jesus was comparing the Spirit to those rivers of water. He said there's a time coming when there's going to be a, a not river, a, a well of water. He said there's a time coming when the well is not going to be like a well you see here. The well is going to be on the inside. And it's going to well up from within eternal life. Now, next Sunday, in part two of Who is the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk more specifically about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more specifically about the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed forward to the day when the Christians would receive the Holy Spirit. Um, But here's the main thing that I want us to have a takeaway this morning. If you don't write anything else down, write this. The Holy Spirit is a person. I've hopefully already established that this morning. But the Holy Spirit is a person. One of the things that makes me cringe is when I hear people from the pulpit talking about the Holy Spirit like he's an it. 
right? It's, it's almost like the force, like Star Wars, okay? Well, it's not like, you know, Elisa, the, the force is not with you, right, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's not an impersonal force of good and evil or anything like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. And in John chapter 14, he says he's another like Jesus, just like Jesus. Why? Because they mutually indwell one another. And because the Spirit dwells within the Father and the Son, and the Father and the Son dwell in the Spirit, that means that now, since the Spirit dwells in you, you literally have the relationship of the Trinity dwelling in your heart right now. The problem is, most of us don't even know it yet. You are being invited into the relationship of the Trinity. That doesn't mean you become a god. But that does mean that you have incredible power residing within you if you accept it by faith. This is exactly what Peter was talking about when he said these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He was trying to think about the incredible nature of having the Holy Spirit inside of him. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. See, this is a grace from God to have this Holy Spirit living in you. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. You know what that means? That means the angels are up there going, oh my goodness, I have watched God work with His people for thousands of years, and I've seen what happens when the Spirit of God moves in the prophets and in the kings and in the people, but oh my goodness, something brand new is about to happen in the New Testament because of the Son, because of His promise, because of those who believe in Him. They're going to receive this power from on high inside of them, and the angels are like, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to see what God's people do now. So many of us don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. How can we live by the power and might of someone we don't know? Amen? So we really can't begin talking about who the Holy Spirit is until we recognize the truth that the Holy Spirit is a person. And since that means, uh, since he is a person, that means that he has feelings, doesn't he? He's got feelings. And there's things that we can do in our life. The Bible tells us that we can grieve him, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk a little bit more about his actual qualities and personhood next week. But, but, but basically, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit as a person, number one, he's got personal attributes. This is going to be next week's sermon. But he's got his own mind. The Holy Spirit has his own will. He has emotions. And they're all in alignment with the Father. Does that make sense? And not only does he have his own character, his own personal attributes, but he also has his own divine activity. There are things very specifically in the Bible that you see the Holy Spirit doing that you don't see the Father doing, that you don't see the Son doing. So he has uniqueness in the sense of his personhood and also in his activity. And next week we're going to get more into that. Okay. 
I realize that I might be jumping around a little bit, but I want to close here because next week we're going to get deeply into who he actually is. What does the Bible say about his character? This morning I want to tie something together from last Sunday, and hopefully, if I've done this right, it's going to leave you going, wow, that's amazing, okay? Let's do this. I want you to turn with me. Let's go to the very first place in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is ever mentioned, the book of Genesis chapter 1. The very first place in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is ever mentioned, Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, guys, you guys ever heard of the law of first mention? You ever heard of that, the law of first mention? The law of first mention basically means is that when, you, when, you're looking at a, a, when you're looking at a subject in the Bible, the first place it's ever mentioned gives you a really good clue as to, to what the, the rest of the passages are probably going to be about, the first place, okay? So here's the very first place you see the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew. The word spirit is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Very good. Shalom. One more time. Ruach. Okay. The word ruach means two things. It can mean spirit and breath like (sighs) wind and so the very first instance of the holy spirit you see it connected here you see the holy spirit connected to breath and wind when god creates adam from the dust of the ground it says he (sighs) he breathes into him what life spirit so these ideas are connected with one another spirit breath Life, those ideas are all connected to one another. When Ruach refers to God, he's called the Holy Spirit, capital S. So Ruach in the Old Testament can refer to your spirit, that aliveness that God has given you from the breath of life, or it can refer to the source of that life, which is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath, if you will, (laughs) right? The Holy Wind from the Lord. And here in Genesis chapter 1, When we meet the Spirit for the first time, you see the Spirit of God as a divine wind. And what is it doing? It's hovering over waters. Hovering over waters. The word hover there means to flutter, to brood. Anybody ever raise chickens? What does a chicken do when it when it's trying to raise its raise its young? It sits on the eggs and it broods over the eggs, right? It's it's raising up new life. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is present and he's hovering over the waters like a mother hen. And he's just waiting for the instructions to say, "Okay, day one, day two, day three. The Spirit is the one that's going to do all the creating through the Son. Now, I want you to notice that in the very first mention of the Bible, he's connected with creation. Write that down. He's connected with creation. And he's connected with two elements in the creation. He's connected with wind and what? Water. Creation, wind, and water. Now watch this. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This is so cool. I love this right here. All right, check it out. Last Sunday... In chapter 4, with the Samaritan woman at the well, I didn't have time to show you this last Sunday, but I want to show it to you this morning, and I want to tie it all together with Genesis 1 as we get ready for next Sunday. Goodness gracious, I hope I did this right. 
I bet a lot of preparation on this one. Because when you read those two stories together, there's an incredible comparison that happens between these two people. Now, with the Samaritan woman, what did we find out? The Samaritan woman, she, she, Jesus comes to her by day. He comes to her in the middle of the day. Um, she's a Samaritan, so there's a lot of issues there. We already discussed that last week. She's a woman. There's a lot of issues there. We talked about that last week. She has no social status. Um, admittedly, she's uh, sinful, right? She's been with five, five husbands. The guy that she's with is not her husband. And Jesus comes to her and he offers her new life and he connects the Holy Spirit with what? Water. You say, well, Tim, that's just a coincidence. I mean, you know, that's just a coincidence. But here's what's interesting, because John, when you get to John 4, see, the the gospel writer, John, he assumes that by the time you've read chapter 4, you've probably read chapter 3, right? Well, guess what? There's another story that happens in John chapter 3. A guy by the name of Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus by night. And here's what's interesting, because John and the Holy Spirit intended for you all along to compare John, or excuse me, uh, uh, the Pharisee and this Samaritan woman. Because when you compare the two, watch this. She, Jesus comes to her by day. He comes to Jesus by night. She's Samaritan, but he's Jewish. He should know better. She's a woman, but he's a man. There's no social status with her, but he's a Pharisee, which means he has all the social clout in the world. He sits on the ruling council. Admittedly, she's sinful, presumed righteous if you're a Pharisee, right? She's rejected. He's respected. Jesus offers new life through living water. Watch this. Jesus offers Nicodemus new life by being born again. And he says it's like the wind. He connects the spirit with the wind. He says the wind blows where it wishes and where it comes, where it goes. Nobody knows. So it is with everybody who is born of the spirit. So in this passage, guys, when you look at these two stories together, when you juxtapose these two stories together, man, you see this connection. You see this, 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 this connection between water and wind. But when you first see the Holy Spirit, he's doing it at creation, right? Well, guess what? Just as the Spirit was center in creating everything, so too the Spirit is now at the center of recreating everything. And you know what happens in between these two stories? There's one set of verses that ties them together right here. John 3, 16. You all know this one really well, really well. But the part that a lot of people miss is when you keep reading the next few verses. Read it with me. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Remember what the real issue is. Do you believe that he is who he says? And if you do believe that, you get to receive this gift. Okay, keep reading. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everybody who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Okay, I want to close here. Here's the main point. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah 
and trust in Him, receives the gift from the Father of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit comes and dwells within. The Spirit is like wind. The Spirit is like water. He creates and He recreates anew when we come to have this faith in Him. And I'll end it here, right where we began. I want to read to you one more time the first instance that we have of the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and deep. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Do you want to have the gift? Now listen. If you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you already possess the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want to present to you something very clearly that the text told us in that passage that takes place between the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. And that is Jesus says in John chapter 3, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. He says the difference between these two people is that the ones who are willing to know who I am and willing to come to me are willing to take their deeds and bring them to the light. Did you notice that Nicodemus came at night and he left the same way he came? Now, we don't know anything about Nicodemus until later on. Thankfully, I think Nicodemus changes his story. But at least at this point, Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night and he leaves the same way he came. The woman, on the other hand, comes during the day. And like the Bible says, she's responding to the Holy Spirit because when she's confronted with the truth of her life, what does she do? She runs back home to tell everybody, right? Because the Messiah has brought her deeds into the light and she has owned it. She's owned it. So the ones who get to receive the gift and use the gift of the Holy Spirit are the ones who are willing to believe in the Son and to bring their deeds to the light. So here's my question this morning. Do you need to bring your deeds to the light this morning? Are there things that are in the shadows? Are there things that are still in the dark that you need to bring forth? Because by bringing forth those things in your life, it will bring forth the light of life in your light. You will have access to those waters, those well waters that will never leave you thirsty in a way that you've never had before. And the wind will begin to blow in your cells in a way that will change your life forever if you are willing to bring yourself to repentance. Can I have a couple of people come up and stand over here? Uh, singers, if you want to go ahead and get ready, we're going to have our invitation time. Uh, elders, if you are not in the singing uh, praise team and you want to help with prayer or anybody else, if you want to help with prayer, just go ahead and stand on the side. And then we're going to go ahead and have this time of invitation. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, make the invitation yours as together we stand and sing.